0: Well, for those of you that might be new here today, our church has a theme for this entire year. And the theme is, why does it matter? And we are just exploring different aspects of that question. For the spring, more particularly, the question we're asking is family. Why does it matter? And last week, we began this new series on the family, and I just introduced the family conversation last Sunday morning. This morning, I want us to talk a little more specifically about the foundational relationship in families, and that is marriage. Years ago, I read about the, an archbishop who was attending a confirmation at one of his parish churches. And the parish priest was asking the questions of a nervous little girl. The priest asked, what is matrimony? She replied, it is a state of terrible torment, (laughs) which those who enter are compelled to undergo for a time to prepare them for a better world. No, honey, that is the definition of purgatory, the priest replied. Leave her alone, the archbishop remarked. She knows more than we do. Rita Rudner said about marriage, she said, I love being married. It is so great to find that one special person that you get to annoy for the rest of your life. (laughs) The comedian Rodney Dangerfield said one time, we sleep in separate rooms, we eat dinner apart, we take separate vacations, we're doing everything we can to keep our marriage together. Well, you know, we we joke about marriage. Um, However... Do you know that today in the United States of America, there are 122.8 million people who are married? So think about that. And they're trying to figure out a formula for success in their relationships. And they want to be fulfilled. They want to be happy in their marriages. So is it even possible to do it? The question is, how do you remain allies instead of adversaries in a marital relationship? We know the Bible, as we looked last week, we know the Bible opens with creation. But in Genesis 2, the first human institution that God chooses to form is marriage. And then the Old Testament is filled with stories of marriages. And then when you come to the New Testament, the New Testament becomes very specific. The New Testament has the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus touches upon marriage. And then you have what scholars refer to as the household codes. Those are the sections in the epistles where you're given specific instructions about life within a household. So today I want us to look at one of those particular texts is familiar to you, I've entitled the message today, I do, we do, and the text is found in Ephesians 5. This is one of those household codes where Paul addresses the relationships within the home for Christians. The Christians at that time lived in an incredibly pagan world, or they came out of a Jewish background. Those were the two options. And so Christians who were married had questions. What was their home supposed to be like? What was their marriage supposed to be like? As they watched it, some of them had been reared as Jews. They had an understanding of the teachings of Judaism. But the pagans had a very different understanding of marriage. And now people were coming into the church out of pagan backgrounds. And they were primarily the overwhelming number of people in the churches the question was, how are they supposed to live? So Paul and Peter address these significant relationships within the home. Ephesians 5 is one of the places where that's done. We'll, we'll look at the text a little more holistically, but here's what I want us to do this morning. I just want to read the, the closing section of page 5. So look at Ephesians 5, verse 31. Paul says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Obviously, that's a quotation from Genesis. Then he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, here's what I want to think about this morning. Here's the reality We move from a wedding to a marriage. You know, as a pastor, as you might imagine, I participate in a lot of weddings. I actually have one today. Brian Sepulveda and Lisa's oldest daughter, Marita, is getting married this afternoon. And so I officiate lots of weddings. But we move from a wedding to a marriage. The wedding only lasts for a little while, as we all know. The marriage is where we live. George Bernard Shaw, he said, when two people are under the influence of the most violent, most insane, most delusive, and most transient of passions, they are required to swear that they will remain in that excited, abnormal, and exhausting condition continually until death do them part. (laughs) Steve and Valerie Bell have written a book called Made to be Loved. Here's what they say about it. The wedding symbols abound with romance, flowers, ribbons, white lace, frothy icing, lavished over towering wedding cakes, and streamed quartets playing Mozart. This enormous gap between wedding symbolism and marriage reality, sometimes the two of us wonder, what do weddings have to do with actual marriages anyway? We need truer marriage symbols on the wedding day. Perhaps society should require couples clad in army fatigues and combat boots to bungee jump to their places in front of the minister. Ushers should then be allowed to roam the aisles with microphones to publicly interview crying wedding guests to discover the real reason for their tears. And if we really want the symbolic to reflect reality, then a great new tradition would be that the bride and groom demonstrate their ability to synchronize swim in a baptistry stocked with piranha while a soloist sings, you don't bring me flowers anymore. <laughs> so, <clears throat> The move from a wedding to marriage is fraught with all kinds of challenges. So, however, it happens. Then what? Well, you know, we've used some TV families. We started last week, we're gonna use another one this week. Modern family, Phil and Claire. This particular segment, Phil is an aspiring magician and he's enamored with all things magical. And it's Valentine's Day, and he has found one of Houdini's set of handcuffs for sale. Pointed that out to Claire in hopes that she would give that to him for Valentine's Day. However, she gives him a watch that he does not want. So, not only that, he wanted her to eat with him, at this very fancy restaurant, and instead, not only did she not seem to care about his plans to be a magician, she didn't seem to care about the plans to have dinner with him at this restaurant, so she made reservations at a diner instead. So sometimes, marriages just don't meet expectations. Or do they? Let's watch this clip from Modern Family. Hi, honey. I'm sorry I'm late. We had a whole incident at the warehouse. A paint mixer blew up. Luckily, I had these overalls in my office. I could. Oh, you're mad, aren't you? Mad? <laughs> I mean, was this the best Valentine's Day we've ever had? No. Hmm. Was it the worst? Yes. I gave you a great gift. I tried to surprise you at the office. You repaid the effort by making a reservation at a truck stop and dressing up like Tom Sawyer. But hey... Maybe this happens to everyone, Claire. Romance fizzles. Magic dies. At least we can mark the exact time it happened to us thanks to my new watch, which only a switchboard operator from the 1950s could keep wound. You mean this watch? The Houdini handcuffs. I've been taking magic lessons as a Valentine's surprise. Wait a minute, the supposed hinge salesman at your office. The Great Majesto. Of course I didn't recognize him without his floor-length robe covered in question marks. And we also really do have a reservation at that really nice place down the street, so we should probably get your check. Excuse me, can we get the check? But are you really dressed? So wonderful. (laughs) Come on, honey, we should get going. Wait, uh, do you have the key? No, but you do. I don't deserve you. Uh, (laughs) 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 Oh, mate. And there you have it. Uh, Sometimes it seems like things don't work out, but isn't it amazing how often things do work out in our marital relationships, and aren't we glad? There are times when we truly express our love for one another. So here's what I want to say to us this morning. um, Because I realize when you preach on marriage, a lot of people are tempted to tune you out because they're not married. So here's what I would say. Here's what I want to do as a church today. Whether you're married, widowed, divorced, or single, I just want us all to think together about marriage today. What does the Bible say about marriage What are God's expectations for marriage? And what about a a Christian marriage? Why is a Christian marriage unique? Or is it unique? How should the church be involved in marriage? You know, there's a huge debate right now in a couple of our sister denominations about marriage, the Anglican Church and the United Methodist Church. Both of these denominations have official theological documents that define marriage as a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman. However, both of these denominations are allowing ministers in local church context to either perform gay weddings or bless gay marital unions. If you've been keeping up, you know that the United Methodist Church has lost over 2,000 congregations already over this issue. The Anglican Church, it is in the midst of a potential fracturing, splintering, maybe even division over the definition and practice of marriage. On Friday of this last week, the Global Anglican Future Conference meeting in Rwanda issued a statement to the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Anglican Church, voicing their disapproval of the blessing of gay marital unions... As a matter of fact, they even proclaim that blessing a gay marital union is a violation of ordination and a denial of scriptural authority. So, we have two major denominations that are in a huge conversation today about marriage. What is marriage? And so, the conversation I believe is important. Sometimes it's controversial, but it's relevant. In fact, I would say it's even necessary for us as we seek to understand God's best for us. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna talk to you a little bit about our theological reflection and some practical application. So let's start with theology first. As Christians, our view of marriage is theologically grounded. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is Christians... When it, with regards to marriage, we don't just wing it. That's not how we live. As a matter of fact, you could say this about Christians with regard to anything. Pick a subject. We don't just wing it, we don't just look to the broader culture to guide us. Christians reflect theologically. Our faith commitment, our belief in God, our desire to glorify God, our desire to follow the way of Jesus is what guides us. So let me just talk to you a little bit about the theological reflection with regards to marriage that we as Christians engage in. I'll give you three places where I believe we think and reflect theologically. First, the Lordship of Christ. You know, Christians submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus. Sometimes when people ask me, well, why does First Baptist do fill in the blank? My typical response to that is because we're trying to follow Jesus. That's why. So we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. If you should have your Bible open, look with me at Ephesians 5. I want you to look at verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at verse 23. The husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Look at verse 24. As the church submits to Christ. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ Love the church. Verse 32, Paul says, I'm showing you a mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Our lives, our homes, our marriages are to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. We relate to one another in our marriages as Christians. That means we're following his will, following his way. So if you were to ask me, is a Christian marriage unique? Yes, because Christians uniquely follow Jesus. (laughs) Excuse me, secondly, with with respect to theological reflection, I would also submit to you we believe in biblical authority. What that means is the early Christians, when you study the history of Christianity, The early Christians, the the first Christians, were actually Jews who converted to Christ as they followed him as the Messiah. They already embraced what you and I call the Old Testament. They would just call it the Scripture as their authority. Over the course of the years after Christ's resurrection and ascension, the Holy Spirit led the apostles and some of their companions to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what you and I today call the New Testament. It was embraced very early on by Christians as authoritative. And so as Christians, we submit ourselves to the authority of the apostolic witness, which is the teachings of the Scripture. We believe God has revealed Himself through His Word, and so God's Word is a revelation of God. So we believe in its authority. So like I said, as Christians, we don't just wing it, we look to the scripture. What does the Bible say about this? How is God instructing us? Because the Holy Spirit of God is not going to guide you in any way that contradicts what he's already revealed through his word. So. If you tell me you believe the Spirit of God is guiding you to do something, and it is in direct contradiction to what the Bible teaches, then I will tell you you're mistaken. God is going to lead us in a way that is consistent with how he's revealed himself already. And then third, I would say, we have to reflect upon what I would call the covenantal context. That is that marriage in the Bible is not just a legal contract. It is in the state of Texas. In Texas, uh, we are a community property state. That means that marriages in Texas have legal ramifications. But for Christians, a marriage is not just a legal contract. It's a covenant. That is a solemn and binding relationship. Covenant is what God has with his people. In the Old Testament, God had a covenantal relationship with Israel. Jesus came and established the new covenant. When Jesus celebrated that last supper, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so Christians, we are new covenant people. We live in a covenantal relationship with God. That's why Paul says here in Ephesians 5, verse 32, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So when Paul talks about marriage, he talks about Christ and the church because marriage is a picture of the covenantal relationship that Christ has with his people. So for us as Christians, marriage is sacred and holy and it is to be honored and respected by all of God's people, whether we are married or not. Now with that said, let's talk about some practical implications. Here's what I would say about it with regard to our practice As Christians, our practices are governed by our theological commitments. So all that I just talked about are brought to bear in how we actually live every day. Not just what we believe, but how we live. So let me just talk to you a little bit about that. What about the covenantal community? Well, that's the church. The church is the covenantal community of God. And you and I are in a covenantal relationship with one another as Christians because you and I are all relating to God through Christ together as the new covenantal people of God. We are a sacred and holy community. We are not the Kiwanis. We're not the Rotary Club. We're not United Way. All those are fine organizations. That's just not who we are. We're the church. We're a covenantal community. We're followers of Jesus. This is a holy, sacred place. So the church, here's our take on marriage, regardless of whether we're married or not. We see marriage as something that we're supposed to bless as the church. We support it. We defend it. We are to view marriage as God does. And historically, the church has done just that. Now, the church has done it in some different ways through the years, obviously. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, this little community known as Beer Tan in Romania. It is one of Transylvania's seven Saxon UNESCO World Heritage Villages. It feels somewhat frozen in time. You still have horse-drawn carts and local residents gathering to trade their wares in a cobbled village square. In the very center of the church, Is a 15th century fortified church and it towers over the entire community. Inside the church grounds is a very interesting thing. It is called the Marital Prison. Let me show you a photo of it. There it is. Now, today, it's a museum and it is forever populated, populated by this mannequin husband and wife. However, when this church served as the bishopric for the church, in other words, when the bishop actually lived in this community for 300 years, here's what happened in the marital prison. Whenever you came to the bishop as a couple with marital problems, you were sentenced to the marital prison for six weeks minimum. And you as a couple were locked up and you had to live in this very small contained space. One bed, one table, one pillow, one fork, one spoon, and no knives. (laughs) Counsel from the bishop and you stayed there for six weeks. Over the span of 300 years, there was only one divorce in that community. Somewhat fascinating. I'm not recommending a marital prison here at First Baptist Arlington, (sighs) but I think you get the point that the church is supposed to be involved. The church is supposed to be a place where you're encouraged, you're supported, you're blessed, because we believe that marriage is that foundational relationship in the family. And if you experience it, then you're to take it seriously. Now, with that said, just practically, what does this text say to married couples for us as a church and for any church? Well, let me just walk you through a couple things I would see in it. The first one I would call relational congruence. I would say this about marriage. When you get married, you've got to decide how you're going to relate to each other. And you've got to do it in a way that is a blessing to each other, and you've got to find equilibrium, and there's got to be deep agreement and deep alignment in how you relate to each other in a marriage. Um, Dan Allender and Tempera Longman have written a book called Intimate Allies. Here's what they say about relational congruence. Marriage requires a radical commitment to love our spouses as they are. While longing for them to become what they are not yet. Every marriage moves either toward enhancing one another's glory or toward degrading each other. So, how can you avoid degrading each other? Well, Francis de Sales wrote this have contempt for contempt. Did you get that? Have contempt. For contempt. In other words, don't be someone who's satisfied with living in a contempt relationship. Now, how do we do that? And how can we encourage that? Well, I'm, I'm not the magician with Houdini's handcuffs, okay? So I'll just give you some suggestions based upon what I believe are taught in the scripture. First one I'd say is mutual submission. Look back at verse 21 of Ephesians 5. Here's where the household codes Start, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, the lordship of Christ in our homes leads us to mutual submission. When we get married, we enter into a sacred partnership where you lean in and lean toward your spouse. There's deep respect, deep commitment. There's softness. There's tenderness in your demeanor. In other words, both our tenor, and our behavior is to recognize the special uniqueness of this relationship because it is different than any other relationship that we have. And so it requires leaning in, leaning toward mutual submission. I would also say this text teaches us about beneficial relational dynamics. What I mean by that is these are the household codes. Here's how you're supposed to relate. A husband and wife, they live together in a relationship that is beneficial to both of them. We don't enter into a relationship as husband and wife that's only beneficial to ourselves. It's beneficial to both people in the relationship. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus in about A.D. 60, and he's in jail in Rome. Now, I want you to think about life in the Greco-Roman world in A.D. 60. In some ways, it's very different than our culture. In the first century, it was a man's world, period. Husbands were in charge and in control, period. Wives had really no standing in the ancient world when Paul penned this letter. The very fact that Paul would even give a husband an assignment would have been a radical thought. Who could tell a husband what to do in the first century? No one. Husbands lived as they pleased. They could engage in extramarital affairs, particularly in the pagan world, and there was no recourse for it. They were the only ones in many cultures with the authority to divorce a spouse. They could abandon a family. They could dismiss children. They were in absolute control. The very fact that Paul would even give any instruction to men, husbands, was a radical concept in the first century. And so Paul writes this, and he challenges husbands and wives to live beneficially, not selfishly. And that dynamic is lived out in real everyday life in submission and love. Notice not rule and obey. Are y'all still with me? Because some men historically have misunderstood Ephesians 5 and their application is rule and obey. I defy you to find those two words in Ephesians 5. They are not there. Submission and love are there, two very different things. The relationship is grounded into the lordship of Jesus. How do I know that? When the text says something to the wife about submitting herself to her husband, look at verse 22. As unto the Lord. In other words, as you live out your commitment to the Lord. When the text tells the husband to love his wife, how's he supposed to love his wife? Look at verse 25. Any old way you want to, when you feel like it, when she satisfies your needs, when she cooks your favorite meal, when she does whatever, what does it say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, come on now. Think about that. Who talked like that in the first century? Paul. Paul said to these men, You're living in a dynamic relationship. It's a spiritual relationship of deep trust and alignment, not hierarchical by nature, but respectful and beneficial. You live in beneficial relationships, not selfish relationships. And then there's a word about marital unity in this text. See, the deep truth of Genesis 2, Paul refers to it. The union between a husband and wife. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's meaningful, it's financial. It is the most unique of all human relationships. There's nothing else really like it. And so in this relationship we have with each other as spouses, there's deep trust and unity. And then Paul also hints at marital fidelity. Verse 31, the husband will leave and cleave. In other words, you're united together, faithful to your spouse. The writer of Hebrews will say, let the marriage bed be undefiled. What that means is you maintain fidelity to each other. The point is, y'all, marriage is the underpinning of family. It's the oldest institution put in place by God. And so as Christians, it is incumbent upon us to protect it, to give definition to it, and to support it, and to bless it. And to make sure that what we do as Christians is done in a way that gives support and encouragement to those who are married regardless of our state. That we value it as this fundamental relationship within a family. And it's my conviction that God has put his hand of blessing on marriage. So should you and I. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today for the gift of life and love and the fact that you've created us in such a way that we can live in these fundamental relationships known as marriage. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us the ability to love and be loved. And I thank you for the marriages in our church, husbands and wives who love one another and bless each other, for the marriages that have been in our church. Some who've lost their spouse, but were faithful and godly. Thank you for the heritage we have. Pray your blessings on our marriages. God, that they would honor you, that they would be holy and godly, and that our homes will be blessed because couples live together, understanding these beneficial relationships and the dynamic that you've described for us, and it is your desire. We pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.